Welcome to the Novel Analyst Podcast. I'm Jed Hearn, and each episode I analyze a story to help you become a better writer. Episode number three, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince by J.K. Rowling, creating suspense using question arcs. This article originally appeared as a guest post that I did on thebetternovelproject.com, and I'll give a link to that in the show notes. But I've decided to reproduce it here for your audio listening convenience. So, a question arc in your novel can help build suspense, which is defined as a state or condition of mental uncertainty or excitement as in awaiting a decision or outcome accompanied by apprehension or anxiety. The desire within readers to know the answers to riddles or mysteries will keep a lot of people hooked. And I think that a question arc is one of the best ways to captivate readers. And Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince certainly demonstrates how you can use this thing called a question arc to enthrall readers and keep them turning pages. So, what are question arcs? Basically, when readers have a question and they're waiting for the answer, you've got a question arc. Bing, bing. Kind of simple. Question arcs run from when the question is first raised to when it is fully answered. And the main question arc that propels the plot in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince is, what is Draco Malfoy's mission? So if you remember in this book, Harry finds out that Draco, well in the prologue of the novel, you find out that Draco has been assigned a mission by Voldemort and the rest of the novel is kind of the reader and Harry trying to figure out what the mission is and what it's doing at Hogwarts. So this question arc begins on page 37 in my edition in chapter 2 and it concludes 511 pages later on page 548 in chapter 27. This means it lasts 85% of the book's length and all up Readers are reminded of the question arc 36 times, and they're reminded through internal dialogue, conversation, narrative events, and other things like that. In the original article, I've got a a big chart showing each question arc reminder's location in the book, all 36 of them, but I'm not going to subject you to me reading that out, so like I said, I'm going to put up the link to the original article in the show notes, so if you really want to see the specific location of those, check it out there. What I am going to point out, though, is that the 36 reminders of this question arc aren't evenly spaced. There's barely five in the first third of the novel. Why? Well, for one, minor plot lines and secondary question arcs propel readers through the first bit of this novel. And that's kind of fairly standard for for most Harry Potter novel structure. You know, the first bit is very much Harry surviving at the Dursleys, and then you've got a couple of like minor question arcs threading through to get you to around about the 20 to 25% point, which is when Harry normally gets to Hogwarts, and from there the plot really kicks off. Another reason why you can get away with kind of less question arcs and stuff at the start is because reader curiosity and excitement is at a high at the start, especially when they've waited months for the book. So after this initial burst of excitement, however, readers want the story to go somewhere. Rowling delivers with a cluster of four reminders of our main question arc about what Draco Malfoy's mission is around about the 20 to 24% mark. And this makes readers sure that this question arc will form the story's backbone. It makes sure that readers know it's important. So Rowling uses this question arc to avoid the kind of soggy middle problem that a lot of novels struggle for. And this is basically where 
kind of in that dreaded middle 50% of a book. There's a lot of plot stagnation and it's very slow and not much stuff happens. Rowling offers an alternative to this by cramming a whopping 14 reminders, that's 38% of the total, of this question arc between pages 300 to 400, which is only 16% of the book's length. Clearly there's an intentional uh, kind of cramming together of those things there. And by doing this, Rowling makes sure the suspense stays really high, which avoids reader letdown. What's more, four of the reminders of the question arc are key points, events which twist the plot, morph the question arc, and slash or raise the suspense. So the first one of these key points is when Harry overhears Stape interrogating Draco about his mission, which raises the suspense and twists the question arc, as both characters are acting really unusually. Here's the quote from the novel. What had happened to make Malfoy speak to Snape like this? Snape, towards whom he had always shown respect, even liking. And that's in chapter 15, page 302. The second key point, which morphs the question arc, is when Harry discovers Malfoy has fallen out with his best friends over the mission. The quote from the novel is, Look, it's none of your business what I'm doing, Crab. You and Goyle just do as you're told and keep a lookout. And that's in chapter 18, page 359. Again, this raises the stakes by increasing the secrecy of Malfoy's mission. If he's not going to tell his friends, Harry knows it's seriously bad news. The third key point is when Hagrid reveals that Snape and Dumbledore argued. The quote is, Dumbledore told him flat out he'd agreed to do it, and that was all there was to it. He said something about Snape making investigations in his house. And that's chapter 19 in page 380. This reminds readers of Draco's mission, which Snape pledged to assist in the first couple of chapters of the novel. And it raises the stakes by showing that Dumbledore distrusts Snape, despite insisting otherwise to Harry. Suspicious stuff. And the fourth major key point which morphs the question arc in this midpoint of the novel is when Harry gets Dobby and Cretcher, the house elves, to follow Malfoy. The quote is, I want to know where he's going, who he's meeting, and what he's doing. In chapter 19, page 395. This event's particularly effective in increasing reader engagement by showing that some elements of the question arc are soon going to be resolved. It's sort of Rowling giving you a promise that you're going to find at least part of the answer soon. And that's important. You can't just be continually kind of delaying and failing your characters and pushing them back. You need to have those like small wins along the way to keep we don't need to but it's a good idea to have those small wins along those way so that readers get a sense of narrative progression uh, and because of that they have a high, readers will have a high anticipation of at least a partial resolution to the question arc which again increases suspense if you find out that like in 10 seconds someone's going to tell you the answer to this riddle that you've been stumped over for 10 years I know that's an exaggeration but you're going to be pretty suspenseful so there are two more clumps of question arc reminders in the last 30% of the novel. Since readers are sure they'll discover what Malfoy's mission is before the novel's end, like it would just be silly if Rowling dragged that out to another novel, right? Anticipation and suspense is at a high as readers race towards the climax. So what can we learn from the question arcs in The Half-Blood Prince? Here's some of the takeaways that we can apply to our own writing based on this research I've done into question arcs. So number one, uh, and I've got 
How many points do I have here? Too many points to count, just going to run through them and come up with numbers as I go. Number one, use at least one long question arc running during the first 80-90% to 90 of your novel to sustain interest. Don't give readers the answer on a silver platter. Make them work for it. The last 10-20% to 20 of your novel should be where the question arcs are resolved, unless you want to carry them over into a series. But be wary that if you've kind of set this one question arc up as the main point and dramatic question of your book, and it's not answered, readers might be a little bit leery about that. Depends on your execution, of course. Number two, vary your question arcs. Not, even, not every question arc has to be life-threatening or relationship-destroying. What I like about the Harry Potter novels is how it's not just one question arc that runs through each novel. Each novel probably has a dozen or so different question arcs. But again, they're not all life-threatening or, you know, super important. Some of them are lighter arcs that Rowling chucks in to break up the tension. Uh, and some of the question arcs don't even have to run through the whole novel. So she has a couple of short chapter-length question arcs to vary the pace. For example, in Harry Potter, romantic question arcs like Will Harry get with Ginny? Will Ron and Hermione become more in friends? While they're spread over the whole novel, they're not like kind of major life-threatening things, which gives you some relief from the other question arcs. And they provide welcome relief from the darkness of Voldemort's rise and the intense suspense... Intense suspense? That's a good rhyme. From the What is Draco Malfoy's Mission? question arc. Number three, alternate your major question arcs with more relaxing scenes. Along with heart-pounding, page-turning suspense, there should be periods of humour and low tension, where the desire to know the answers is put on the back seat, but not thrown from the car. In The Half-Blood Prince, the trip to Weasley's Wizarding Weezers gives readers a break from worrying about the question arc. Light-hearted scenes also throw darker scenes into greater contrast. This is kind of why, like, if you watched an entire two-hour movie that was just a, like a car chase the whole time, it wouldn't be that interesting. But something like Mad Max, for instance, which is pretty much a two-hour car chase movie, still manages to maintain suspense, and how it does that isn't by constantly having action, because that would just exhaust readers. But what it does is it has these kind of moments where it breaks that up with quieter scenes where it's just talking, and you can probably think of a few of that movie off the top of your head where, like, despite the fact that they're driving... It's still quieter, it's still relaxing, it kind of lets readers recharge before slamming back into those pulse-pounding action scenes. Number four, have credible reasons for withholding a question arc's resolution. If you find out that Draco Malfoy's mission, after having read for 300 plus pages, if you find out that his mission was just to like, I don't know, steal a chocolate frog from Dumbledore's office or something, like, as hilariously weird as that would be, it would just disappoint readers immensely because if you have if you take 300 pages to reveal a non-consequential answer it's just not going to be that satisfying so make sure you have good reasons for withholding a question arcs resolution and on top of that it shouldn't just be characters being like eh, i don't want to tell you cuz feelings or thoughts like it should be a genuinely logical reason why the question arc can't be resolved number 5 Pack most of your question arc reminders, say 35-40% to 40 of them, into your novel's middle to avoid sagging. When readers reach the middle, they should be totally immersed in the plot, with plenty of questions, but not many answers. But by having all these question arc reminders in the middle of your novel, it'll make sure that the midpoint is like a real high point, 
and that it feels like there's a lot of action happening. And it feels like there's a lot of narrative progression happening, sorry. Uh, number six, drip feed clues. Don't drown readers in a deluge of clues. Gradually revealing answers will keep readers intrigued. By having readers and characters slowly grow aware of what's happening, suspense increases and the stakes are raised. And number seven, aim for one, aim for roughly every one in four reminders to morph the question arc, raise the price of failure, raise the stakes, or twist the plot. For example, in The Half-Blood Prince, nine of the 36 reminders did this, exactly one in four. Curse, for instance, when the curse necklace injures Katie, when Harry overhears Snape and Draco, when Draco argues with his friends, when Hagrid says Snape and Dumbledore have argued, when Harry gets the elves to follow Malfoy, when Dobby says Malfoy is using the Room of Requirement, when Harry and Malfoy are duel in the bathroom, when Malfoy is successful in his mission, and when Harry gets the Dumbledore's army to defend Hogwarts before leaving. So a good way to work out roughly how many question arc reminders you need is to write down all your kind of key plot points and multiply this number by four. So that way you've got every one in four uh, question arcs as like a kind of a key plot point, and then you've got about three reminders that you can use before or after those to sort of like set things up or build anticipation towards things. So why do question arcs work so well? Well, by ensuring readers have questions, worries, and concerns throughout the novel, it creates suspense, which, as we defined at the start, is a state or condition of mental uncertainty or excitement, as if awaiting a decision or outcome accompanied by apprehension or anxiety. In other words, anticipation creates suspense, and by using question arcs, you create anticipation. Making sure there's plenty of things for readers to worry and wonder about by not answering their questions up front is one of the big benefits of question arcs. And what they do is they really help you drip feed clues to ensure that readers are involved in every moment of your story. Done right, strategically placed reminders will enhance suspense and emotionally captivate your audience. Thanks for listening to the Novel Analyst Podcast. If you've got questions, episode ideas, or book recommendations, I'd love to hear them. You can contact me at jed.hearn1 at gmail.com or on Twitter at jedhearn. And if you want more awesome stuff, visit novelanalyst.com forward slash email and you can join my VIP email list. When you sign up, I'll send you tons of exclusive content, including think pieces on writing, writing tips I wish I'd learned sooner, the best books to improve your craft, and several short stories I've written, and maybe some longer stuff too. Once again, to sign up, go to novelanalyst.com forward slash email. Stay tuned for my next episode, in which I'll analyse The Moon is a Harsh Mistress by Robert Heinlein. 